We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. What's up, guys? We have the man, the push-up king, the lucky maverick, the man from Fantasy Labs. It's Johnny Bales. How are we doing, John? Uh, good, man. Uh, I'm, I'm honored to be on the, the show finally. How you doing? I'm doing good, dude. Yeah, I've been like, I have a very specific niche of guests that I like to get for this show. And, and it's basically selfishly for me because I've really enjoyed talking more about game theory, you know, tournament strat, all that good stuff. I've been reading your newsletter posts. And even though those aren't necessarily specifically focused on DFS, I feel like so many of the things you talk about are applicable to contrarian DFS play. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, uh, people are are reading them, the the DFS followers, um, you know, and applying that to DFS. That's something that I did in reading Taleb and you know other writers that I respect. Just sort of reading through their books um, multiple times and applying it to different fields, I think, is really useful. What is since you wrote those books, the fantasy football for smart people? What would be the biggest things that have that you've seen changed in the DFS landscape since those came out? Oh, definitely the um, emphasis on ownership over the years. I mean, I haven't written one for now a few years, and and DFS has changed so so much since then, so much more efficient. Um, Yeah, the emphasis on ownership, probably uh, like lineup correlation stuff, Um, and then uh, people trying to take advantage of other lineups in general, exploiting people's overconfidence on chalk and things like that. Um, I think it had some effect on that. Yeah. And what kind of, you know, I was, I was looking at some of the, the recent contests you've been playing. I wanted to talk about your mega millionaire team. What is your kind of overall contest selection these days for, for NFL? Um, I'm, I'm playing fewer lineups this year than any other year. I play maybe six to eight total lineups, which I, which I hand build. Um, and then I, I just placed those in everything under like 5k. Okay. Um, so that's, that's the line of construction. No, no, no cash. Yeah. And when you, so you're, you're a hand builder. It's good to know you're on team hand build, not on, on am, team I opto am. bro. Uh, what do you start? Uh, I know you said you hadn't looked a ton at this slate. When do you start thinking about the slate and building your lineups? I mean, I'm moder- monitoring stuff, uh, throughout the week and, um, Usually on Thursday or Friday, I just start building teams. That's the way that I kind of figure out the slate. I just start building teams that I don't use. 
Um, and it gives me a sense of like what kinds of constructions I think are going to be optimal, um, what sorts of ownership pairs and uh, stacks and things like that. Um, and then I, uh, over the weekend, monitoring news, of course, and then I, I build all the lineups on Sunday. Yeah. I, one thing I've been thinking about a lot lately, and people have been asking this question too, of like, if you're hand building and say you are going to play in that range six to eight, maybe only three to four, like where you start and is it, you know, is it a process or is it just like, Hey, I really like this game stack. I want to play it. And then I'll, I'll build the pieces around it. Where do you generally find yourself starting with a lineup build? Usually I'm starting with a stack. I mean, I think it's the most pivotal part of a lineup of course i mean the it's correlated it's uh i i tend to like overstack games so it's a, a huge percentage of the lineup um so i'm starting there and then typically and then and then building around that yeah i wanted to pull up uh your lineup here from the mega millionaire contest you did finish in fourth in your twitter post you were a little salty about the payout structure i, I believe if i recall correctly I was just making a joke. I mean, I entered the con. I, I knew the payout structure, so that's just the way it is. But yeah, it, it probably shouldn't be so top heavy. Uh, you know, um, if I if, if I uh, finish in that percentage uh, a different week, I probably get a higher percentage of the payout. It was just that week, but uh, I entered the contest and knew the payouts. And, and when you run into the Millie Maker buzzsaw that is RBX eighty eight, who just ships these like it's no thing. I mean, you really had no chance to ever get first. No, I was dust. <laughs> so you mentioned overstacking in this one. You did have a triple stack with Dak in the bring back uh, with Odell, which obviously uh, worked out really nicely. But I am curious about that idea of overstacking. I keep seeing very successful lineups in these smaller field tournaments doing this. I mean, uh, our buddy Pete Jennings just won 200,000 with a triple stack lineup with the Vikings last week. Leone, two weeks before, a triple stack with the Texans. Is this something that you think might be going overlooked in these smaller field tournaments? Yeah, I think it's generally uh, plus EV if you're picking the right games. I mean, it, it just depends, though. It, it depends on the game. Um, it depends on the team. The reason I did it that week was obviously the Cowboys are explosive. They were also running like way more plays than anybody else. Like it was like 20% uh, faster pace than any other team in the league. Some of that obviously had to do with game script, but um, yeah, it was, uh, there's, there's certain teams that I think that, that you can do that. And people are sort of afraid to play three or maybe even four players opposite uh, or, or with the quarterback, uh, depending on the, on the structure. I, I think that's fine. It's obviously way higher variance. Like you're going to get crushed a lot, um, but sometimes you'll do really well. Where do you think, so this, this contest, the Mega Millionaire had 632 entries. Like, do you have a rough kind of number of entries? Like I've been playing the big spy a lot, which has about 5,000 people in it. I mean, once you're getting into that territory, is, is a triple stack still too much in that you just have to get so many things right to get first out of 5,000 versus first out of 600? No, I mean, yeah, I, I still think it's team, team dependent and game uh specific but um no i i i uh i still think it's plus ev in, in these smaller structures yeah the i mean i know we're going a little bit far back here uh i only had one other question about this lineup was hunter renfro like the last piece of like hey he just fit here or was that no, that um, was a swap he was he was a yeah that was a swap oh okay who did do you remember who you had uh, in? I, I don't remember okay who I had in, but yeah, I, I swapped to him to, I, I, I was doing really well, but the pay, payouts are so t top heavy that yeah, that was a swap. I've been thinking about late swap stuff recently. And I think that's what you just described is why it kind of messes with my head in that you probably shouldn't late swap if you're more like middling and you can min cash, but it's actually, if your lineup is doing well and you have access to the really top heavy prizes in the top five, where it actually makes more sense to late swap. Does that, does that, yeah, it, it really depends, but late swap is the most um, overlooked source of EV. It's crazy. Like you have a, you have a chance at 345, whatever, to redo your lineup based on how you're doing. It's almost as important as the initial lineup. And people are just like, I don't, I don't know what they're doing. They're just, you know, mostly just let it go. Um, yeah. The late swap is the biggest edge in DFS, I think. 
Yeah, and now I'm now I'm trying to remember. Was this Dallas Cleveland game? That was the late game as well, right? No, that was that was the early game. It was the early. Okay, so you knew your stack had already crushed. And do you remember? Was Renfro? Were you trying to late swap to something chalkier or more contrarian? Uh, I was trying to be slightly more contrarian. Okay, so it was, and that goes back to that thing. I think a lot of times the connotation for people with late swap is I'm buried, I'm blocked by the chalk, I might as well get off the wall. But you absolutely smashed and we're like now i want to even get more contrarian so i have a chance at first yeah that's right because of the payout structure maybe it would have been different if there weren't a million up top um in i don't know what the prize pool was but you know it it is very top heavy um but yeah i mean the difference between 70k and 30k or whatever is like you know I, i was trying to get like top two or something how do you do, are you trying to reverse engineer like estimated ownership projections than knowing the ownership set from the 1 p.m. games? Like how, it, I think for people it is a little intimidating. Uh, like what would you recommend for people if they did want to focus on that late swap more? Yeah, I'm mostly just, um, yeah, you you obviously need to look. What, what I do is I, I go in um, Fantasy Labs and look at the, uh, ownership projections and then compare that to actual ownership in the in the contest and see where we were wrong or whatever and then um uh where i'm higher on the field in the 4 p.m games like am i do i have a realistic chance to come back with these lineups um i'm or am i actually underweight or whatever and then sort of try to adjust from there but yeah with each individual lineup you're mostly kind of just guessing um I don't know. It's just like experience. You're, you're making like an educated guess based on uh, what you see in the, the ownership compared to what you thought in the 1 p.m. games. Yeah. So one thing that you've talked about a lot before, and it's actually a phrase that has stuck in my head about lots of stuff in, in life and in DFS, this idea of playing a different game, which I think speaks to being contrarian. How do you apply that concept of playing a different game than other people to DFS? And with the caveat, like everyone is getting sharper. Everyone is out leveling each other, galaxy braining to the same late swaps. How does that all fit into the field collectively getting sharper and more willing to take on risk? Yeah, it's much harder. It's much harder than it used to be. I mean, in the early days of DFS, I think it was like just ownership. People were not, uh, you know, weighing uh, they were basically just trying to pick the best plays and not um, focusing on the payoffs as much as they should. And then it turned into maybe um, the projections, like projecting a range of outcomes for, for players and, you know, focusing on, on probabilities rather than uh, like a mean projection type of thing. And then it became more about uh, correlations and focusing on the range of outcomes for the entire lineup. And now it's all of those things. And then, you know, uh, lineup con- construction, uh, pairing certain types of players who are uncorrelated based on their ownership, um, anti-fragility uh, in general, in terms of like exploiting people's overconfidence in, in, you know, you pick like a certain play that you think is going to be chalk and you think it's wrong for whatever reason, you know, not only do you fade that, but how do you benefit if they're wrong um, type of thing? So you, where you get a double benefit, um, but the entire time in, in tournaments, I, I think that um, the, the goal in tournaments has always been to win when you score as few points as possible. And most people think it's to score as many points as possible. So I, that has never changed. And that will always be the case. You should not be trying to score as many points as possible. You should be trying to win when you uh, don't need to score that many points. Yeah. What do you, you mentioned that you're mainly playing the, the higher buy-in, uh, smaller field stuff. Although when you look at the ownership levels, obviously the ownership is just so much sharper. Like a guy last week, like Miles Gaskin, who is a great play, will become the chalkiest running back in the high stakes stuff. And it'll be the fifth, you know, highest chalky running back down in the low stakes. Do you think about that of like, uh, I guess, why are you so willing to, to go against the best competition if there might be softer contests out there? Uh, lower rake. <laughs> yeah. So basically whatever, whatever EV you'd have based on the field being less sharp is completely dwarfed by, by the rake overall. 
Yeah, and also uh, ownership is actually more predictable at higher stakes because everyone is like pretty aware of who the best plays are. So it's not that it's more more beatable. I just think that it's more more predictable type of thing. And then you combine that with lower rake. And uh, I don't know what the if it's like a net positive or negative or whatever, but it it seems kind of neutral with with the rake. Yeah. And that's the other thing, because I, I mean, I, I think of you as a very good independent thinker. And yet part of what we've now seen play out is like being able to know what your opponents are going to do and make these shifts, you know, where it's like a, two weeks ago, everyone's talking about the Chiefs. Mahomes is going to be this great play. And then it's like, we're waking up Sunday morning. It's like, wait, no one's going to play Dak Prescott. He was the most obvious that Dallas game stack heading into the week. Are you, you know, as deep into trying to predict what the opponents are going to do? With ownership, or are you just kind of in your own zone when you're building? No, I I, I try to predict what other people are going to do. I mean, um, yeah, th- there's times when um, it, I guess it depends on the week. Cert- certain weeks, I really like a certain stack or game, and it might be like moderately owned. It could even be high owned, but I just like really, really like it. But depending on the ownership, uh, of what I naturally like that will dictate the rest of my strategy. But yeah, I, I'm still always trying to, I guess, um, exploit what I, uh, I start with what I like and then, uh, you know, that's what, that that's the core of what I build. And then the rest of the strategy is dictated based on what I naturally like and that's exploitative. So, yeah. yeah. And do you still think about, I know, you know, one of the concepts that you wrote about a long time ago was the kind of barbell, approach where you're willing to eat some chalk, especially at more predictable positions, but then you uh, want to find some really unique other pieces on the other side of that barbell, which I know is also a, a Taleb thing. Do you still think uh, in those terms when you're making your lineups? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think in general, people uh, are way too focused on individual plays and, and and not nearly enough on the nature of the lineup that they build. Like I thought Henry... Last week, for example, I played him a bit and I still did that poorly, which is just a disaster. It's awful. But uh, I thought he's a fine play in certain lineups and then an awful play in other lineups. It just depends. And yeah, I, I mostly just play chalk at running back. It, de- it depends. But um, I, I usually have like pretty high owned guys at running back and I'm more contrarian at wide receiver and tight end. Um, so yeah, I, and yeah, I would rather play guys that are very clear values and then uh, some other players who are who are I think are being super overlooked that might be like three percent or something like that, usually usually pass catchers. If I compare those guys together, I think that's the best possible outcome. When I don't like I think that I can predict how I'm gonna do in a week pretty well pretty well. And if I don't like those low on pass catchers, it's really tough for me. If I do, then I think I do pretty well. Do you scale back your volume on those weeks when you know what's coming? Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's the hard thing to do, right? Especially like, you know, you're pre-regging for these contests or you're getting excited about them, and but deep in your stomach, you have that pit that says, I, I don't feel good about this week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, you can always do well when, when you think you're not going to and vice versa, but um yeah it it, of course it's tough well everyone in the chat and everyone's talking uh and this actually dovetails nicely with this so joe mixon's been ruled out for this week which means geo bernard uh is going to be stepping into a bigger role we actually haven't had one of these i want to say since like week one when boston scott stepped in for miles sanders where the salary was noticeably off from the role he's going to be 4500 i assume he's going to be mega chalk but like as an example, like what ownership percentage for you does Geo have to be, let's say in these like 600 to 2000, you know, style entry tournaments to where he becomes not a good play? Like if he's 100% owned, is he still a good play in those tournaments? No, of course not at 100. Okay. But I think that, that's, a good, that's a good thought experiment uh, where people are like, oh, I'm playing this guy no matter what. Well, of course you're not doing that. Like what if he get, gets hurt? Like he has a higher probability of getting hurt than you benefiting from hundred percent percent ownership. Like, of course he's a bad play at a certain point. Um, but yeah, that, uh, I don't know what, I don't know what the break even is. I, I haven't, I mean, that just came out, I think uh, 
right? Mixon yeah. was, was supposed to be playing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I would need to look at it, but it's, I mean, it's pretty high at that, at that price. Like probably I would still be playing him. Yeah. And I think that's it, you know, cause the, I assume the the term that will get tossed around is free square. But like you said, as a thought experiment, there is a threshold where it, like you said, you're just trying to bake in how much, what is the percentage of the times that he, you know, like, what do you need there? Maybe three or four X his salary. What percentage of the time does he do, do that? It's obviously not a hundred percent. Yeah, of course not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but I, I think it's just interesting because some people will view it as like, no, you have to play Gio Bernard. Like it's the free square. You have to play him. So I'm just trying to think through where that threshold actually exists. Yeah, of course. And that, and that's why you have to think about what other people are going to do. You can't just like completely do your own thing and play Gio. Like if you really thought he's going to be even 90% owned, then you, then you can't play him. Right. Yeah. It's, it's actually not even close. But if like at 50% or 60%, then it's like, well, I don't actually know what to do. Then you have to like figure it out. Maybe you're in line with him. It, it also depends on like if you're in a week where you really like other guys, maybe you just are uh, even with the field on, on Geo for that reason. Or it, it, depends on, it depends on the rest of your lineups. Yep. Yeah. We got people in the chat talking about um, the opportunity cost with Bernard referencing that you're giving up Kamara, Mike Davis, Kareem Hunt, who are all in, in good spots. No more snowflake says this will make it more likely for people to get up to the higher price receivers or I'll say one thing I'll say though, is Michael Thomas is on the bad side of questionable Deandre Hopkins hasn't been playing with his ankle. So Devonte Adams is really the only high priced wide receiver set up to smash, but uh, the slate dynamics definitely change big time uh, when one of these running backs open up a, in the cheap range. Yes, it definitely does. It it changes the construction and and uh, yeah, those high price guys have uh, much higher ownership. Um, yeah, that that's definitely a consideration. And so some of the more um, you know moderate salary across the board lineups are probably uh, lower owned than they than they otherwise would be. Yeah, I'm actually kind of excited about that because three of my favorite plays, just looking at the the price and the upside, you got DJ Moore, Terry McLaurin, and DJ Chark all there in that 5,500 range. So I would love if people go more studs and duds here and those guys go a little underlooked because I, I love how things are setting up for all of those guys. No, you're going to print this week then. <laughs> that, that that's your early lean as well <laughs> yeah seems like it buddy <laughs> there we go we're, we're figuring things out on the fly i know you just <laughs> opened up the slate for the first time about 20 minutes ago <laughs> uh, um what well what actually kind of tying back to that late swap thing we're getting an anomaly this week with the sunday night football game being part of the main slate do you put a little added weight on obviously it's already a great fantasy game for DFS but as far as late late swap optionality is that even more valuable having extra time and being the latest possible game yeah definitely uh if you're unsure on plays which there's so many plays that like you're like sort of in between like I would say I don't know, 15 or 20% of players that I play or stacks, whatever, I feel very confident. Like I'm going to do that no matter what. And then there's some guys that are very chalky that I'm going to fade maybe the same percentage, but in the middle, it's like, I don't know. You're kind of just guessing. Um, and then with those guys, I look at lineup construction, the ownership, the correlations, things like that. But yeah, if they're later, I give them a slight bump because there's just so much more value in having more information and being able to redo your lineup. So if I'm unsure on someone and they're playing later, I'm going to pick the later guy. Yeah, for sure. And this game is interesting too. Like in your uh, DAC double stack lineup and that mega millionaire, what made that so attractive is how cheap Lamb and Schultz and even the bring back Odell were in this Sunday night game. I mean, it is really expensive to try to do these double stacks. I mean, Metcalf's really priced up as is Hopkins. Uh, Russell Wilson is super expensive at 8,000. How do you think about game stacking when the pieces are really expensive? And it's not like there's a lot of cheap options to, uh, to fit in there. Yeah, I mean, it's more challenging. It, it, it depends on the other players that I like in the slate. Like, obviously, we have Geo now. Are you going to pair him with, uh, with a more expensive stack later? Um, 
Yeah, I guess it's just contextual. It depends on the slate. Um, but in general, I, I guess I would say I would fade a game more than I would play like suboptimal pieces within a stack. Gotcha. Yeah. And that's the thing too. Like when, again, referencing your uh, Dalton Schultz lineup, like Dalton Schultz had like a pretty established role and that play made sense at low ownership where I, I love punting it off at tight end. If it just fits with the game stack and I don't have to figure out another piece, but then you're looking at the tight ends in this game and neither team has a consistent tight end option. I mean, Dan Arnold had zero targets last week. I guess Greg Olson has had a couple five target games earlier in the season, but now he's coming off a one target game. So you're kind of saying like, just because I love this game, I'm not going to punt it off at tight end. If I don't think they have, I don't think you should like, uh, if you're punting it off, it should still be someone that can go off. That's like something that I think people do where they're like, Oh, he's a pretty good value. I'll throw him in. The guy should be able to go for 102 touchdowns. Like every single player that you have. Yeah. You're, you're, you're drawing dead if you start playing players that, um, you know, you're, you're hoping get like six catches for 75 yards or something. That, so then my, my, my Ren, my Renfro play, just disregard that. Well, <laughs> I, I would argue based on we've seen Renfro have big plays, but I was going to push back on that. Like, how many tight ends actually have that upside? We, like, th- there's only a few of them and they're normally pretty pricey. Yeah. I mean, I, in general, I think I pay up for tight end more so than other people. But I mean, there's still, uh, I've been playing Ang- Ingram quite a bit this year, which has been a disaster. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I th- I think that there's uh there's a difference between um guys who are getting like four targets and have have just scored a lot and things like that versus there there's enough tight ends who are getting enough targets I think maybe 102 is a uh a bit optimistic but they should have some like realistic opportunity to realize their upside and just playing value guys because they fit in or they're cheap doesn't really make sense. Yeah. I've been one leak in my game that I've been thinking about lately is defense. Like I've been building my lineup and basically throwing in probably one of the three or four cheapest D's that seem to have the best setup. But one trap to that is I've been getting some chalky defenses because a lot of people are thinking similarly. How do you think about defense in context to the other stacks and plays you're getting in? Yeah. You know, it's crazy defenses used to be like almost all similarly priced within a thousand dollars on FanDuel and stuff for years. And people still said pay down for defense. Like people would pick the shittiest defense because they were cheaper. Now there's way, a way bigger range in the uh, salary of defenses. And people are on like all the same defenses. Like there's only a few that you want. Um, yeah. Th- I mean, I'm usually playing, I'm actually kind of chalky at defense. I think that there's, you know, you you get lucky in certain spots, but certain defenses are so much more likely to have opportunities uh, for sacks. And, uh, you know, if, if they're getting pressure, that's the biggest predictor of, of turnovers. Um, so I'm, I'm generally pretty chalky at defense, but yeah, it, it still depends. And if I like a defense, that's not that chalky. I'll, I'll be super overweight on them. And um I'm not really like spreading it out as much as I, as I used to at defense. Um, and then depending on the defense, uh, you know, you're stacking with the, with the running back, like, you know, Tennessee and, and Henry are a great stack, but depends on the running back. Hey guys, Peter Overzet here. And I quickly wanted to tell you autumn is in the air. I mean, I just went apple picking. If that doesn't say autumn is in the air, then I don't know what does. And Manscaped, They're here to ensure you don't carve your pumpkins when you're grooming. And by pumpkins, we actually mean your boys downstairs. And by your boys downstairs, no, the copy doesn't go that way. But I thought, what if I just got super explicit? Anyways, in fact, Manscaped is on a mission to change the way you approach caring for your balls. And great news, they just released their products in the UK, Canada, and Australia. And down under, get it? Down under. Release their products down under. Uh, Manscaped. Let's not forget, it's also the best trimmer for your butt, your balls, and your body. I actually did forget that. I did not know that I should be shaving my butt, but now I realize that that is a thing I should be doing 
Manscaped has lots of products for you to do just that. Shave that buddy yours with the lawnmower 3.0 trimmer, the weed whacker, the crop care kit, etc., etc. Get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com with code ROTO. Save your butt by shaving your butt. Yeah, it's interesting too because I th- I feel like the prevailing wisdom or the talking point is that defensive scoring is so unpredictable. It results in these, you know, high, uh, you know, random events. But you're saying you think that predicting the defenses that might be able to instigate those kind of plays is more predictable than people think? Yeah, it might be in line with salary now. The salary has adjusted so much, like at like 4,700 for Buffalo this week on DK. Um, and then the, I think that's the most expensive. And then cheapest is, is 2K with the Jets. So, it's, I mean, it's pretty sizable. It used to be like almost no difference in the yeah. defensive. Um, 4,700 is a wild amount to yeah, pay for that's a That's a lot now on, on DraftKings, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting though. This week, it, I mean, I know we're still early as far as ownership starting to settle, but you really do see it like up here, just here it, with the Roto-Grinders extension, like no one over, you know, 8% in these top 10. And then you get down here, Washington football team, 2,500 popular lions 2200 popular and even some people willing to stomach the jets um so it does seem like the field really does want to pay down at defense and that there might be an edge maybe not paying up for the bills but maybe living in this 2600 to 3200 range yeah i mean i think so um it it Again, it depends on it depends on your on your lineup, but yeah. and you're not going to be like super contrarian at defense. There's just not uh, enough ownership. But uh, one thing you could do is look at uh, sometimes there'll be like really cheap stacks that people are on for whatever reason. Um, in addition to them being cheap, and they're not they're like sort of suboptimal plays, and maybe you play the defense against them um, because you're getting it obviously. You have 20% of people in a field. They have the stack. Uh, the stack does poorly. They're dropping. Um, and then on top of that, you have the defense. They have a pick six or something like that. And then you're rising. So you get yeah. that, that double point. I guess an example of that, I haven't ever thought of it, but I like that idea. Like, so this week you have Joe Burrow's really cheap at 5,500. People are kind of down on Cleveland. They're at home. You can stack him cheaply with uh, Higgins, with Boyd, and maybe to your thought in that extension would be like, Hey, maybe play the Cleveland defense there. And, um, and you get kind of a double whammy of a low owned defense and lapping some of a chalk stack. Maybe. I don't know that, that since he's going to be that high, That's true. I, 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 you know what, actually now with the mix of news, geo will, geo will be high. So yeah, that type of thing where, yeah, when you, yeah, that, that's a perfect example. Actually, when you have a really, really cheap, uh, running back, that is, a borderline play, but everyone's going to play him because he's so cheap. That then, then uh, yeah, if the defense is in a good spot, no one is going to play that defense that has that running back in the lineup, right? Yeah, that's so oh. their 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 ownership is naturally deflated because of that. It's interesting because now the the Browns have a pretty high ownership in here right now, but I do agree with you. Like no one, like last week, I had a lineup where I had the Colts defense or uh, who I forget who the Colts were playing, but I had Jonathan Taylor in, and I got off of the defense they were playing. I think, oh, they were playing the Bengals because I didn't want to have my running back going against my defense, even though I kind of like the Bengals play. So I do think we'll see the Browns ownership come down as people don't want to stare at both Geo and the Browns defense in their lineup. Yep. Yeah, Um, I think that's right. uh, Interesting. Very interesting here. Let's see. Um, There was something else I wanted to ask you. There was a question in the chat. uh, People enjoying talking about late swap when late swapping. Is there ever a time you leave a bunch of money on the table? Like if we think Hopkins is high owned and we swap to lock it, does that become negative EV? No, if you're, if you're blocked, you have to swap. So sometimes you can tell that you blocked you. If you're at the top of a tournament and you're in the top five or whatever, uh, at 345, you reverse engineer what what the lineups ahead of you have. You can like easily figure out if they have a certain player based on the salary, um, usually. And if you're behind them, you're dead. You have to swap. Yeah. One thing I've been thinking about lately too, and you mentioned it before, of even in these 
tournaments that have pretty nice payout structures, like the majority of the money is still in the top five spots uh, to where like if you're playing these contests long term, you need to be finishing in the top five every now and again to to have a chance at being profitable. How do you think about kind of how contrarian you need to be or just that idea of making sure that you are putting shots on goal in that top 1% to make sure you give yourself a chance at one of those, as opposed to just like, Hey, I'm, I'm putting in good lineups. I'm, I'm cashing, but I never actually have a chance to win one of these. Yeah. I mean, my, my strategy is always to win. Um, with, I, everyone says that, but yeah, I mean, certain lineups are like pretty unlikely to win based on ownership or correlations or things like that. They might be, uh, more likely to cash than, than mine. I don't think my, my cash rate historically, I think is like a little bit better than average, but really not that much better. But the, the top 1% finishes are like way higher than 1% of my lineups. Um, yeah, you're, you're, I think that you should be, it, it's difficult because, uh, you know, you, you're, you're trying to balance EV with like realizing the actual equity of your lineups. And when you do things that are super high variance, your probability of realizing it is, uh, you know, you have to go a long time. Um, so you have to balance out with the, like your bankroll and being able to stay in the game and continue to fire and things like that. But uh, my goal is always to, to, to win a tournament. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I had, it was last week, you were mentioning the kind of the risks of the overstacking I had. I finished literally in second to last place in the spy that had 2,220. That's a great lineup then. Thank you. That's what I thought. I was like, hey, it's a great lineup. 2,220th place. You're either first or last. But it was like you said, I went heavy on a game stack that I thought was going to be pretty low owned that I still like. It didn't hit. And then all my other secondary correlations, Hunt and Juju didn't hit. It was just a disaster everywhere. But I'd rather live on those polls, right? Yeah, I mean, it sounds sounds like a very good lineup. No, I was <laughs> I was the same thing. Uh, I, I was on the the Steelers Browns game. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, you, you also need. It, it is difficult sometimes to like maintain confidence in what you're doing when you just keep getting crushed. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's part of it. Yeah, I've had that. What helped, like. And again, it almost ties back into bankroll management a little bit too, where like you can't be having like a pit in your stomach about the action in play. Like I have to have this one hit. Like I think the best analogy is the poker analogy, right? Like once you give that buy-in for those chips, that is just ammo to play a game. It's not representing like, oh, this part of the lineup's worth $20 of my spy line. It's like, no, no, no. This is one bullet to try to win here and making sure that you're playing within your bankroll to where you can just be like, I'm going to YOLO this game stack. I don't care if it has a, you know, 10% chance of hitting. If it does hit, I could win this whole tournament. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jay, Jay Rayner, who I think is one of the beat by Jeep, one of the best tournament players ever, uh, has said he, he, uh, quoted a ancient Chinese proverb. Uh, if you, um, I forget what it is now, but if you try to live, it's going to be uh, tough to survive. But if you accept death, then you're truly free to live. And when you enter the tournaments, if you accept that that money is gone, you can just like kind of do the the right type of thing. Um, and I think people are just naturally scared of that. Uh, but But one argument in favor of not being so contrarian is if you're cashing at a at a higher rate, um, even if it's less EV per lineup, you just have, have less variance and that's generally better for, for an investment. Um, so the EV has to be substantially higher and being contrarian because you're going to lose so often. Um, I still think it's in favor of, uh, because of the payouts of being contrarian, but yeah, you have to, uh, wager a lower percentage of your bankroll and you have to figure out ways to, to just stay alive that people that are playing chalk don't necessarily need to do. 
Yeah, that actually makes me think of one thing I wanted to ask you about. We have this Empire Maker Awesomeo challenge where they're playing across 10 Thunderdomes and kind of what you were ex- uh, explaining there kind of reminded me of how Empire Maker builds his lineups, which are very close to the optimal. He's not getting too contrarian and he's just saying like, I'm gonna, you're going to make mistakes and I'm just going to keep playing the best plays. Whereas now Awesomeo's in this spot. He knows what he's going to do. Does he try to get contrarian? to jump him in those optimal lineups. Uh, what are your thoughts overall on this challenge and how do you think we might see it play out? I've been following Empire on Twitter. He's amazing. Uh, <laughs> he's just completely losing his shit. It's he's awesome. unhinged at this point. It's, it's uh, incredible. Is the challenge that, uh, they, is it making the most money? Yes. It's just okay. net net profit. And then whoever uh, wins has to pay the other person or the loser has to pay 50,000 on top. Yeah. And I think Empire has over a million on it now. Uh, inside action, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of reminiscent of a push at, at minus one thirty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which yeah. I mean, that's a wild number to be laying. Yeah, it, it's better than. Uh, I mean, it's over the course of all these challenges, so it's better than. I think that it's not. I mean, Empire is amazing player. Uh, I don't know that it's that crazy uh, if he has a slight edge. Compared to the A.E. Jones bet, even at minus 110, or I think he maybe accepted some at minus 120, I'm not sure, every single week, I think that's a worse bet than the minus 130 against Osmo over 10 Thunderdomes. But, oh, okay, saying that he can realize a perceived edge over over more slates than just in the one. one yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. How would, you, how would you approach a challenge like that? in the, in the Thunderdome, let's say if you were in Osimo's spot, and I would guess that you play more similar to Osimo than you do Empire Maker, although maybe that's a mischaracterization. No, that's right. Uh, but the reason that I do that is because I'm not on Empire's level of being like Empire is maybe the best in the world at just like being able to pick the right players. <laughs> he is, he combines uh, data with, you know, uh, news and his gut instinct on players. It's incredible. He's so good at it. It's nuts. So I think that who gets up in the first few challenges will be very, very uh, telling of what will happen because the one advantage that Osmo probably has is he's used to being able to uh, craft lineups based on his probability of winning or the payouts or whatever. So if he gets down, he has a uh, he'll know how to sort of approach the the slate, and the five k buy-in is probably not that meaningful to him compared to the the side bet. Um, so he can sort of adjust his strategy on the go. I'm sure Empire will as well, but Osmo has been doing that his entire career. Um, but uh, overall, I have so much respect for people who take on risk and uh you know empire believes him in himself he is willing to take on all of this downside based on uh on his ability and lots of people talk all the time and whether or not you agree with empire he does take on risk he he puts his money where his mouth is no matter what um so i, I no matter what happens, I, I respect that so much. Like if he is uh, wrong in his belief in himself, he loses his money. Yeah. He's also getting a nice bit of a clout equity here. I think last I looked, he's gained like 2000 Twitter followers over the past uh, week or two uh, stirring the pot on this challenge. So yeah, I know they're, they're in the PGA Thunderdome this week. I think it was close after round one. So if you guys want to Check that out. I also did an interview uh, with Brick75 and Petty Theft on Wednesday night on Brian's channel, Lowell's, the episode. And uh, we were talking about the challenge as well. If you want to dig in deeper to that, Osmo was on earlier as well. Um, one more question here, and then we'll build a lineup, get you on your way. Um, I was curious for you to rank these kind of elements that I think go into being a good DFS player, bankroll management, contest selection, building highly correlated lineups, using good projections, and leveraging ownership projections. Uh, would How would you rank those as far as the, the most important to the least important? Um, I don't know if I can rank them. They're all like sort of pivotal to being able 
to profit, like you can do everything right. And if you're just betting too much uh, per slate, you're going to go bust though, no matter what. Um, in terms of what I'm like, hot, more, uh, I'm higher than other people, obviously on leveraging ownership and specifically correlated, correlated lineups. And I would say lineup construction in general, where you've tried to build lineups based on maybe where you think other people are wrong or just where they're overconfident or whatever. And I'm lower on projections. Uh, not that they don't matter. They're incredibly important, but there's lots of good projections. Um, not lots, but there's maybe like four good, really, really good sources of projections. And I can just like outsource those. I don't need to do those myself. So um, lower on projections, higher on ownership and correlated lineups and uh, contest selection. Um, I mean, that depends on the person, probably bankroll management. You just need to not go busto. Yeah. I think the thing I've heard from a lot of people that are playing maybe only a hundred or a couple hundred bucks in play each week is that, you know, you sort, you go to the DK lobby, you sort by prizes one and you're finding yourself in these massive contests where you never have a chance to win. I think I saw Smith had a screenshot last week where it was his 150 set from the slant versus 150 set from the Millie maker. He lost money in the Millie maker and had a decent profit in the slant, just speaking to both payout structures and the field size. So I guess that's the one thing I've been trying to tell people as well. Of like, if you want to give yourself a chance to win these tournaments, like get, get in a contest that's under 5,000 people, like give yourself a realistic non-lottery chance to do it. So you don't have to go years and years to realize whatever edge you think you might have. Yeah. That, I mean, that's right. If you, I, I could have like a hundred percent edge in the milli or something, and I'm still probably going to lose money over a few year period. It's just, it's just the way that the structure is. Yeah. And, uh, even dovetailing into that, we had Ricky D who shipped the Millie maker on Monday night on that two game slate. And I remember just last year, he had posted a graph on Twitter of what I want to say was like a $500,000 downswing. And like, to be able for him to, he had to be able to stay in the game so he could hit that million dollar thing. And you have to have a bankroll to absorb that kind of swing, which is what's going to happen if you're max entering the wildcat like Ricky D does. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, the, 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 the most important thing, no matter what, even, even outside of DFS business or poker or whatever is you um, mitigate your downside, like stay in the game first and foremost, and then you, and then you try to capture EV after that. Yeah. That's uh that's what I did in the gambling Olympics bales. Uh, I was famously <laughs> pretty buried after uh, the first day. And I just, I just kept min cash Pete. Little did I know I was accidentally exploiting the scoring system and snuck my way into third place. I just stayed in the game. Who, who won that? I, you know, I'm having a hard time remembering. I think we might have to, to look it up, but it, it might've been you. You're in the thumbnail holding the golden donkey trophy. Uh, that was a great time. We, uh, once, uh, Corona is all done, we got to figure out a way to run that back in, in some capacity. Yeah. I want to do another broathlon, the baseball, baseball broathlon. Yeah, I know. We were going to try to do that last year in Yosemite. And then, uh, we got too swept up in God's nature, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, <laughs> let's give the people what they want and we'll build a lineup. We can talk through some things as how we would think about it as far as our correlations. And we can we have the ownership percentages pulled up here so we can gauge how chalky or contrarian we're being. I'll give it to you. Um, any stack you want to start with, any play you want to jam in, all that good stuff, the the field is yours. Uh, let's start, let's jam in uh, Mahomes. Tyreek and Kelsey. Let's okay. See where we go from there. I like this. So, I mean, one interesting thing about this is it does seem like you're going to get all of these guys at lower ownership uh, than normal. And Tyreek's price has really dropped down here at 6,400. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. I mean, like a year or two ago, if you were to say, oh, I'll get Tyreek at, at, at that price and uh, an ownership, you just like auto jam him in, right? His ownership would, yeah. or, you know, people would, the uh it's a very obviously good play um and then kelsey we don't yeah i guess we don't need to worry about tight end but the main thing is that uh in general if you're unsure you should just pay up for stacks that have a real uh, mahomes every single week can go for 
400 yards and four touchdowns or something, right? Like, yeah, it's not like you're playing, um, you know, uh, I guess you could say Burrow to a certain extent, although I actually kind of do like him this week or bigger, <laughs> bigger Mayfield who's total dust and, Oh, he's like underpriced. Like who cares? He's not going to be able to, to win a tournament. So there, yeah. there, there's actually like not that many stacks that can do that. And Mahomes every week can do that. How do you think about high price guys where if, if you pulled up the advanced analytics, Brandon Adams site, and you pull up uh, guys like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, you're probably going to see a, a slight negative correlation. Same with even guys like Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. And I assume Tyreek Hill and Kelsey would have a slight negative correlation. How do you think about that uh, with the double stacks? Yeah, I look at the correlation stuff, but I uh, those things have to be adjusted for uh, we talked about like reverse engineering, what success looks like. And uh, you don't start with the baseline of what it's going to be. You start with, okay, they need to score 40 points for me to win anyway. Let's assume they score 40 points. Then what are the correlations? And it's way different. Yep. Someone in the chat mentioning there might be snow in Kansas City on Sunday. At least how I remember things that snow doesn't have too big of an impact. It's generally only wind that has a predictable impact on games. Does that uh, check out for you or should we be worried about snow? Um, If it gets really cold, you're worried about that because the quarterbacks have a a difficult time generally uh, gripping the ball when it's cold. It's the same thing as like having small hands. Um, But uh, yeah, I, I guess it depends on the temperature in general though, just snow, if it's like 32 degrees or something, is not that worrisome. Yeah. So you can check in on Kevin Ross weather report on Sunday morning and check on that situation. For now, we will ride with this. I'm going to bring it back with Tim Patrick. Uh, Tim Patrick has uh, basically just taken over the Cortland Sutton role, back-to-back 100-yard games, leading the team in air yards. Uh, the alpha kind of surprisingly in this offense right now, even with Jerry Judy, they should be getting Noah Fant back, uh, which should help the offense in general. But I love kind of the big playability that that Tim Patrick's been showing. You like that bring back? Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Um, all right, you're up next. All right, let's go. Um, let's go with uh, Josh Jacobs. Nice. Are we worried? Are we, the, the one concern about Josh Jacobs is this whole offensive line thing where they were they were sent home uh, because of the COVID scare, one of the other offensive linemen, and we're still awaiting if there's a positive test there. But other than that, I think uh, everything's all right. Yeah, of course, monitor news. I think that news is like, um, what do you think about people sort of get set on their lineups by by Friday or whatever, and then there's news that could be like kind of impactful and they just sort of stick with what they already built. Yeah. I I think, and I actually, I changed part of my process because I would get too anchored to the stuff I did earlier in the week. Like I would go in and fiddle with my, my main lineups and then adjust this, adjust this. And then Sunday rolls around. I'm like, I'm in love with this. And now what I do is I build a $3 lineup. I throw it in the big play action and I get it out of my system, but I get a feel for building lineups and how things are fitting, but I don't get emotionally attached to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's tough, that, uh, but that's why I, uh, I do fewer lineups now, hand build them. I want to do all of those on Sunday. I build lineups um, later in the week, but only as a way to, I delete them and it's only as a way to like get a sense of the, of the slate. Yeah. Um, all right. I've been enjoying these kind of secondary correlations here. You know, like if Josh Jacob goes off for the Raiders at home, you got to imagine that Tampa Bay is playing catch up in passing. Uh, I played Godwin last week, didn't work out. Um, I'll, I'll just note here on the Roto Grinders extension, it doesn't look like the ownership is pulling yet for this game. So don't assume that Jacobs and Godwin are going to be 0% owned. They won't be. But Godwin uh, at 6,400, I like his price tag. He seems to be just playing better than Evans right now, who's really kind of been buoyed just by his touchdowns. Uh, do you like those kind of secondary correlations in a game? Um, explain that more. So just the same idea with stacking of, you know, let's go all in on a game shooting out. If this KC Denver game shoots out, oh. we're going to be in great shape. And just saying like, if we're playing Josh Jacobs and he smashes, the bucks are like, yeah, it depends passing. on, it depends on the game. If the game is going to be super high owned or something, then I don't like it. I, I hate to have pieces of a game that are going to be really high owned. 
uh, I don't know that this one will, but uh, where you have like, you know, the Cowboys are going to be super high owned and you have, and you have Amari and only Amari in the lineup. That's yeah. really bad because if Amari goes off, then probably there is just much higher likelihood that other lineups are going to be able to, to pass yours that stack that game. Um, but yeah, in, in general, I like having the, the correlation, but depends on the game. Yeah, and I would I would assume both Jacobs and Godwin are going to be pretty low owned. There's just so many other running back plays people want to do, and Godwin coming off of that game and with the Q tag, I I would assume this lineup is is pretty contrarian to the point where we can kind of do whatever we want at these last three spots. Mm-hmm. How much salary per player do we have? 42? We have forty two hundred. I guess out of yeah. if we want to put in a placeholder D, let's just. Let's just see what the Cowboys D is here at if we do 3000 that would give us 4800. So we're going to have to we're going to have to save some money here. Maybe we are gravitating toward a Geo play. Mm. Why don't we go with Justin Jackson? Okay, I like it. There was a little concern about his health, so pay attention on that. But it looks like he um, he was limited at practice. But, man, he did look like the better back uh, their last game over Josh Kelly. That's for sure. All right, so we have a defense and uh, – Yeah, we can, so we can what, go cheaper. What do we think at, about the correlation at, uh, at running back with – with the uh, Chargers defense. I like that. I mean, I've been, I think I talked about this last week too, of like wondering, you know, it it doesn't seem like it's the strongest correlation. Like if the defense is getting interceptions and scores, then our running back isn't necessarily, but if it fits and it's low owned, it, it doesn't bother me. Let me see something. Correlation between Jackson and the defense is really bad. So we don't want that. It's, Negative 0.78 correlation. Okay. So it looks like we're probably playing more of a one-off defense here. Let us uh, let me just put in another one. Let's put in Lions. Ke- Ke- Kelly and the Chargers defense is 0.45, so much more correlated. If you were going to play Kelly, the Chargers would be probably a much better play. And that makes sense because Kelly yeah. has been more of kind of the battering ram that ices games, and Jackson's more the playing the Eckler role. Um so yeah, I would say depending on what we do at defense, we're within like the fifty five hundred to five thousand uh, range here. I mean, we do get into that range of those guys we were talking about. Uh, we could get DJ Chark in here at fifty five hundred. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't hate it. <laughs> you're at the point where you're like, I, I literally do not care. Uh, <laughs> but are, are there any any other ways you would think to, or how you would think about finishing this out with 7,700 total remaining? Mm. No, I, I mean, I actually like Shark in that uh, context. He's someone that um, in that range probably has, I mean, you're comparing him to like Tyler Boyd, uh, DeAndre Swift, um, Philip Lindsay, David Johnson. He probably has more upside than, than almost anyone. Another little bonus there. If you get that same secondary correlation in again, Justin Jackson, Chark, hoping for that game to shoot out Justin Jackson playing a lot and Chark now kind of uh, back in that alpha role for the Jack. So uh, I like this lineup. These are the kind of lineups I like to build. Uh, not a ton of chalk in here at all. <laughs> you know, Kelsey, probably the highest owned play in this entire lineup. Uh, you know, some people were looking at my lineup last week that I reviewed and they said, you're being too contrarian, Peter. You're not eating enough chalk. Am I wrong to look at a lineup like this and love it and not feel uncomfortable? <laughs> I mean, I like it. There it is. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, because I think that's the thing. Normally people are like, well, yeah, I like some of those contrarian plays, but you could have eaten some chalk. You could have played, and and it wasn't that I was opposed to playing it. I know I can, uh, but again, if some of the correlations or if we think the points projected on some our running back plays are similar and the ownership on Josh Jacobs is going to be 2% and the ownership on Hunt is going to be 25%, like I'm just always gravitating to Josh Jacobs. And again, it, it also depends on the times of the games. Like you can just play chalk if they're in a later game and swap. Right. Right. 
Yeah. And that's something I need to get better about is um, looking at my lineups and planning for some swap contingencies. Yeah. You, should, you should have, yeah, some, uh, some different pairings that you're going to swap to based on, you know, I'm in the top 10%, I'm in the top 50%, whatever. Uh, it's very important. Yeah. Um, all right. We're going to wrap up here. Ben says, so what type of contest do you ideally play this in? Uh, I mean, a lineup like this, that's this contrarian. I feel like you could, you could justify this in a ton of different contests. Yeah. I don't think it's that contrarian. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) there's, there's way more contrarian lineups than this. I mean, you're still playing Mahomes and the chiefs, right? It's not like, yeah, I just think that there's going to be four, five other games that are going to be more popular than that KC Denver game. Yeah, maybe there needs to be like a uh, a shift of what people think is really contrarian. This is not really contrarian. Yeah, no, see, this is how I know we built a good lineup because Jason Q in the Roto Grinders chat says, honestly, that lineup isn't good. And that's how we know we did it, Johnny Bales. <laughs> Um, all right, guys. Yes, uh, Trizzy just mentions, was just reading one of Bales' newsletters. Definitely check it out. It is unpaywalled. I tried to give Bales money for his Lucky Maverick newsletter, and he threw it back at me. Uh, tell the people what you got going on over at Lucky Maverick. It's one of my favorite things to read these days. Oh, yeah, it's just a newsletter. I mean, I uh, um, used to write all the time. I love to write. I think that I'm good at writing, but it makes me happy to write. And uh and I got away from it for a bit. So I just started writing again and decided to, to create a newsletter. Um, and I thought that it was free. And when I when I launched it, I was actually accidentally charging. Uh, and you paid me. So I, I'm thankful for that. But uh, did you get your <laughs> refund, by the way? I did. I did. Oh, good. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it came through. No, I love because I listened to you on Davis's podcast. And you, you were like, I didn't really know that I was already charging people for this. No, yeah. I Yeah, the... It's a long story. It's a long story. But yes, you guys take advantage of it while it's still free. Uh, Lots of good, actionable, practical advice. I think if you like this discussion, you'll love what's going on over there in the newsletter. Um, A few other plugs I do. If you're watching this on my YouTube channel and you want to hop in the Bankroll Challenge League, $10 on DraftKings, the link is in the description. I also have a Discord going. Lots of good talk. If you guys want to talk DFS strategy, there's like 100 people in there now that are having really good conversations about DFS. I think it really helps to bounce ideas off of other people. Uh, So hop in there. And uh, yeah, otherwise follow Bales on football at Bales Football. Thank you to Roto Grinders for sponsoring us. Good luck this week, guys. We will see you on Monday for the review.